0: The sub 4 minute mile has always been a benchmark standard in athletics. At one point it marked the unattainable, beyond the measure of us mortals, until an Englishman named Roger Bannister came along in 1954, and well you know the rest of that story. While the mile is not run with as much frequency now, especially in Canada, the sub 4 still stands as a mark that separates good middle distance runners from great ones. On this week's show we go back to two very important points in Canadian athletics history and its relation to the mile. 50 years ago, a man by the name of Dave Bailey ran the first sub four by a Canadian. Dave joins us to talk about that, training, and the importance of athletics and giving back. Also, Jason Beck from the BC Sports Hall of Fame and author of The Miracle Mile Stories of the 1954 British Empire and Commonwealth Games sits down to talk about the legendary 1954 Miracle Mile, the first sub four on Canadian soil, and the first mile race in the world with two finishers under that legendary four minute mark. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. Dr. David Bailey has accomplished a lot in his life. His medical research has, among other things, examined the relationship between medications and fruit juice. He also marshals at meets in the summer, known as the man in the red vest, to thousands of kids cutting their teeth on the track. But 50 years ago, he became the first Canadian man to break four minutes in the mile. To commemorate that moment we caught up with dr david bailey this week uh, it's been almost 50 years now since san diego uh june 11th 1966 um I, I realize it's been a while but tell me what what can you remember about that day
1: oh well it was uh, a very special day because i uh i went specifically to san diego with the idea that i would i was ready to run a mile under four minutes i uh, I had run in in Los Angeles the the week before and ran 4:01:5 and really my first attempt at the year of the year, and finished feeling pretty good, thinking, "Wow, you know, this is well within my reach." So I really thought that if we could get into if I could get into another race uh, um, soon, uh, that uh, and and everything was you know was a good field, pace was right. Weather was good. Track was fast. Um, yeah, I could do it. And certainly, California at the time had the, you know, really had the, all those elements going together for it. So yeah, I I, I went with real focus here. This was not a. This was, this was really a a, a clear attempt that um, I, I I really thought I could do it that night. So it wasn't something that just came off it was years in in development and things just were starting to really come together so yeah the trip to california was specifically designed to to make another attempt um i certainly remember being extraordinarily nervous because i'd gone all this way with bill cruthers who was running in the uh, 880 that night that night and um I don't remember as being as nervous uh for many races as I was for this one i i i I was so nervous that um I couldn't even stay inside the stadium um and had to sort of disappear into the parkland until it was time to warm up so yeah it was uh one of those moments where I really thought uh you know this is the opportunity is being presented here. Uh, would I be able to come through when it really counted? Yeah.
0: Well, well, you talked about uh, preparation and stuff. Uh, something that I think uh, runners of all age can can definitely identify with. What what were some of uh, you know the big workouts going into this? Well,
1: I, I had changed my I, I had run a four hundred two the year before, um, but I was increasing mainly my um, my volume in terms of just straight mileage. I think I really worked harder on developing my aerobic strength, um, and I had done workouts that really indicated uh, by increasing my mileage. You know, just uh, just easy running for the most part, like almost uh, just running through parks and um, not adding any more intensive speed work uh, that I, that it would carry me through. And and uh, I mean that's aerobic capacity is is 50 percent of. Of running a mile, um, you develop your anaerobic capacity fairly quickly but your aerobic capacity takes years of, of constant training and um, so I think that was the biggest thing. I was following a lot like what Arthur Liddiard was doing with the, the greats that he had been training in New Zealand like Peter Snell and Murray Halberg and Bill Bailey uh, who I'd met in '65 when we were touring Europe, and um, he was very nice. I, I, we were in Berlin, and and after my 1500 meter race, I, I'd run in the Berlin Olympic Stadium. I'd run 3:45. Um, he sort of said, "Would you like to come and run with the boys uh, the next day?" And I said, "You go for a run with Peter Snell." <laughs> He said, "Yeah, we're going to go for a run through the park tomorrow morning and you want to come out with us." So, uh, but I had followed he, you know, and listened to what he had said and and uh realized that the weakness in my training was I simply didn't have enough mileage under my belt. Um and so I started to do a lot of running where I uh stayed off the roads. That was really a key thing because of getting away from the pounding. Finding parkland that I could run on, and uh, a lot of it was running on golf courses at a time when people really didn't, you know, runners didn't, it didn't really, you know, what was, what's that guy doing out running on the course? Nobody's running. But I had a, I had a 15 mile course that I could run on three separate golf courses, and uh, they were interconnected. So I only spent about two miles running on a road area. The rest of it was running on grass up and down hills. Um, uh, and I think that was a lot to improving my aerobic strength that, you know, enabled me to carry my speed, uh, over the last half mile of the race. Well, that's really, you know, that's where it really counts.
0: So, I, I mean, running on golf courses, that, that sounds a lot like, uh, you know, what, what university students and do now for, for the cross country season. Were you big into the cross country stuff and, and more of the aerobic stuff?
1: Well, I mean, I I did a lot of cross country type running. I mean, I was uh I was Nash CIAU national champion uh twice. Um in a row. I I um so I could run a good 6 miles on the grass. I mean, I know that I ran under 30 minutes. I think one of my one of my races I was like 20 29 minutes for 6 miles on the grass. So, I mean, and these were on rolling courses. So I, yeah, I had a good aerobic background and I think that the the training that I did for cross country provided me with this strong strength
0: um, in order to carry the speed that's what I was talking about. Yeah. Mhm. So there's San Diego in 66 but in 67 you actually came back to put down the first sub 4 minute miler by Canadian in Toronto. Um, you know, what yep. was what was that like? I mean, I imagine there was probably some friends and family there was there more nerves there
1: that was pretty special yeah um well of course my family was there for this race um and uh, it was run in varsity stadium on a cinder track uh there was a good crowd there that was it was full i think there was about twenty thousand people there so there was a lot of enthusiasm and um i mean i I did my. I grew up in Toronto. I I, uh, I raced. Uh, I I went to University of Toronto, um, so I was well known in the Toronto area, and um, uh, so coming back, people had identified. So, uh, and 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 the race turned out. Uh, it was one of those sort of wonderful evenings, really. Um, Pace was good. Uh, Bill Carruthers helped push the pace during the third quarter, um, and I think I got to the bell about I don't know two, two fifty eight, two fifty nine, and the place was crazy. So I I, I felt great with three hundred to go. I felt great with two hundred to go. I came around the corner, and I had a hundred hundred you know one straightaway to go, and I got halfway down it, and my legs just died. In one stride, all of a sudden, I went from feeling great to saying, oh, my God, I'm not going to make it. And so the last half straightaway was some like it took forever. And I really thought, well, I'd lost it. But, you know, I had been able to carry my speed uh, and ran 357. So that was my PB, my personal best, and it was great to do it in front of my family and um People who have actually, who remember being there say it was a pretty special night.
0: So, yeah. Your sub-four-minute mile happened 12 years after Roger Bannister and the Miracle Mile happened. I'm wondering, I know you would have been a very young man at the time, but what sort of impact did those races have on you?
1: Well, I mean, I was fascinated. I uh, I seem to have an aptitude for, for running the mile distance. I mean, I had the seemed to have enough speed at that period in time, and I wouldn't say it was fast enough nowadays, because these guys could never run an 800 as fast as these guys are running today. But um, my speed was there. I seemed to have the, the the mental capacity to have very very intense focus for a four-minute period. That's that's a very important part of the of this whole find finding the right distance. You not only have to have the the strength, the speed, but you also may have to be able to have this um, ability to focus for an, an intense period of time of four minutes, and I could I could do that. Uh, I could maintain very intense focus for a, for a four-minute period. So it seemed to be really ideal for my – so I early on, um, the coach that I had, Fred Foote, even when I was 17, it said, you know, you're the guy who's going to run up and- – and I had done a lot of reading in the library, and I'd I'd gone down and read about the Miracle Mile, and read about Rich Ferguson being the Canadian who was four. So uh, I, I had a I had a grasp of this, and, and and the mile at that time was really the premier, not only the premier distance in track and field, along with the uh, the hundred yards. I mean, it was one of these premier events in all of sport. Um, we don't think about that now, but the mile was one of the, the. I mean, Roger Bannister running the mile under four minutes was considered uh, um, by Sports Illustrated the top, top, uh, top accomplishment of the last hundred years for, us in, for an individual. Um, so it was, it, was, it was the high profile. Any track meet you went to, the mile was always the main focus. It was always like the 2nd last or the last race of the night. And so you had to sit around and wait forever to finally go. But it was the the event that um, caught the imagination of the public. It was uh, something that was long enough that you could get involved, but not too long that you got bored. Um, And watching a mile, I mean, I took my son to see a sub-four-minute mile when it was run in Cambridge. And, I mean, there is a visceral, visceral experience to watching a person run a mile into four minutes. It's this build-up in the mesmerizing sense of speed. They get past the half mile, and then they keep sustaining it, and it just builds and builds and builds and builds. And I said, I said to my son after the race, what did you think of running? He says, I sure am glad I was here to see this, because it really is special to really see a sub-four-minute mile. Um, yeah, we've 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 got away from it, and it's not a 1500 meter is not the same. It's a it's a totally different race. It's only a hundred and nine meters distant difference, and and you think well that doesn't, but it is it's a different race altogether. It's not the same. It doesn't have the same kind of build-up that you see in a, in, a, in a mile. So, but um, so I'm sorry you don't you know. But the mile is a, is a distance that goes way back in antiquity. I mean, the mile really comes from the Latin word mile, which means a thousand. And it was the distance that the Roman legions had used uh, to mark their distance. And it really meant a thousand strides. Um, so we're going back before the time of Christ. So the mile was a distance that had uh, it's, you know goes back to antiquity.
0: You uh, you mentioned a couple times uh, Bill Crowthers, who you know I, I think for a lot of people who listen to this show it, is a very important uh, person who you know in, in Canadian running history. Um, you know what what was that like training training with him and uh, you know I guess did you guys feed off each other was it was there good training chemistry there?
1: Well, yeah. I mean the um, I mean I had talent um, to run a mile. I was willing to work hard to do it. Um, but you need more than that in order to come up with the final result. I mean, you have to have good coaching, which I had with uh, East Shore Track Club under Fred Foote. Um, You have to be, I was certainly motivated, but you have to have successful teammates. And way back in the day uh, when I was running, um, I was fortunate to be with a group of guys that were very successful Two of whom were Bruce Kidd, uh, who was actually just a year older than I was, uh, and Bill Cruthers. And these guys made you believe that anything was possible. So uh, they did things where you say, "Wow!" I mean, Bill Cruthers was ranked number one in the world in for 800 meters in 1963 and 1965. He was considered the best. Second best 800-meter runners of the period of of the 1960s, second to Peter Snell, Bruce Kidd um, ran times and distances that, I mean, when he was 19 years old, he ran 13.42, 13.42 for 5,000 meters as a high school student. And that's still, just recently, is still a Canadian junior record. And that time would have got him a bronze medal at the 1960 Olympics. And he was still only 18 or 19 years old. So they were doing amazing things um, uh, back in the day. Of course, Bill Crothers won a silver medal, being second to Peter Snell, uh, in 1964. So these are individuals who made you believe that you you could do this, in spite of the fact that you had pretty crummy training conditions. So we worked very hard but we believed in ourselves and it's, it's a self-motivating thing and you know you base you know they say you can do this you can do this and uh, eventually you talk yourself into you are saying you know I can really do this um, so so much of this is attitude going in so you're not only have talent but you got to have a lot of other things going for so I consider myself pretty lucky
0: one of the uh, one of the coolest things for me to see this summer was at uh, at the london 1500 meter night there was a ceremony celebrating the 50th year since uh, your race in san diego with uh, you know just a whole bunch of uh, you know people who have broken four minutes what was that like for you to look down the line and see all these different people who came after you and and did a lot of the same things as you
1: Well, I mean, it is a special, you know, to be able to do this is is very hard. Uh, And you recognize that other individuals who have accomplished it, you have to give them a pat on the back and say, look, you know, really, in 50 years, there were only, I think, about 56 people who have run, Canadians who have run a mile under four minutes. That's not very much. Um, So... Yeah, I, it it was great to see the, uh, the they come out to be part of it. I didn't look at this as my night. I looked at it as really a celebration of individuals who, you know, had the wherewithal to run a mile under four minutes. And and uh, so yeah, I think it was our evening, and not just my evening. Um, I I sort of was highlighted, but I I really don't think uh, so. Yeah, I I I appreciate their accomplishments. Because we all know what it's like to go through and and that's what I like about track and field you know you uh you' f- people finish a race um and they and no matter where they finish, they turn around and genuinely congratulate each other for if they all felt that a they played fairly and b they recognize the you know how hard it is um and sort of you know get, pat each other on the back and say you know you did you you did well uh and it's quite sincere. Um, so that's what I think is great about track and field is you you know you you recognize the accomplishments of others because you you know what you had to go through in order to get
0: keeping almost with that same topic of 1500 meter night uh, you are a track marshal now with the London runner distance series and, and you have been for quite a few years now is that really important to you giving back to the sport at this stage in your career
1: well, I mean, I, I I really enjoy being part of the process uh, in the night because um, I owe a lot to track and field. I mean, uh, they the, the the struggle that you go through, and the friends that you make, and the accomplishments that you achieve uh, through track and field are life confirming lessons. And so, uh, yeah, I I try and put back. It's, uh, there are a lot of people who helped me out when I was uh, back when I was competing and it's a kind of uh, playing it forward Um, so yeah I like to be able to be part of this and and I recognize how important it is that you know races go off on time and so when you get to a meet you say you know I know you when you go into a meet and you know that it's going to be run well you know that you're going to have the best chance of being successful and uh, I remember when I'd go to the big California meets and I'd go down there and I'd watch uh, the 100, I'd get down there and I'd watch the 100 meters. Sixth place would go in, you know, 10.1. And you'd say to yourself, holy crow, are they ever running fast? And you, then you say, you know, I, I can't run slow tonight. So you develop, a, there's an electric atmosphere that occurs at a meet like that. and you So you want to be able to create that environment for others. And you started saying, well, people come to the meet and they say, you know, I think I can run a PB tonight. And you get that right atmosphere um, and, and people do run well and they walk away, you know, feeling really good about themselves. And I think, yeah, yeah it gives me pleasure to, to see that happen. They walk away with a smile on their face and they all say, I ran a PB by five seconds. And you have, you know, you have like 400 people out there. And a high percentage of them all come home and, you know, A, the race went off exactly when you said it was going to go. And the pace was good. And the evenings the evenings always are amazingly good for no wind, you know, just the right amount of coolness and enough atmosphere in there that you really can, you know, come to grips with saying, this is a special night for me. So a 1,500-meter night is always a thrill to be there and to be part of it and see everybody walking off, you know, saying this was such a great evening. So, yeah, I enjoy putting things back into it because I think it's been very important in my life.
0: Um, I should point out that you are Dr. David Bailey. Um, you, you do have that, and you've done a ton of, you know, very important research. Um, but you've also done a lot of other stuff. You know, you've you've broken four minutes in the mile. You've you've medaled at a couple of different games, uh, the Commonwealth and at the University Olympiad. Um, you do some volunteer work, uh, countless other things. You, you've led a very interesting life and a very full life. Where, where do those miles fit in, you know, the sub-four-minute miles, um, as, as kind of importance as to who you are?
1: Well, yeah, I, mean, it's, uh, I look back and, and, and uh, I, I think it's a stepping stone. I, I don't think sports are an end in themselves, but they're an important part of your own personal development. Um, and that's how I always looked at it. I mean, the when when we went to East Shore Track Club, um, you know, we were – it really was a purely amateur adventure. I mean, the struggle for finances, facilities. But you look at who these people all became afterwards, and they went on to very successful careers. Um, and I, I think that basically they – you learned a lot of life lessons that are very relevant – um you know the idea of hard work accomplishment integrity um and you you did things so it, yeah it's a it was a an important step you know, to who you you become and i think uh, you know i i used to teach medical students um in, in small group sessions at the university and and uh, I could always figure out who were going to be good doctors because they were the most—they they were the ones who were the most resilient and able to deal with stress. And invariably, they came from a sports background. So you know, this ability to deal with stress and and all these other things are things that you've—you uh, know—I think came from sports. And it's important that people participate in in sports because these are the really the true values of them. You know. As I said, they're not an end in itself. Um, and I remember when I met Roger Bannister back in 2008. I had to thank him for. I I, I thanked him personally. He says, well, "Well, I didn't do anything," and I said, "Yes, you did. You know, because you set an example for, you know, everyone else. We were just trying to repeat what you were already done." And and um, when uh, when we were able to do it, um, the process of of what we had to go through, I think uh, has uh, you know, uh, has been very important in, in who we've become, so I mean he was a huge motivator to say, "You know this man did it I wonder if you know wonder if I could do it as well and in 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 the in the process of uh, achieving this, uh, I think I learned a lot of things that are relevant to who I become. So it's one of those important processes that you can do. I mean, I can't run anywhere near what I used to be able to run. But um, I look back on those days and say, yeah, I, it, it's you know, it's it's one of those building blocks in my life. Yeah, and I've applied the what I've learned uh, from sport to what I've done in my career.
0: Well, Dr. David Bailey, um, it's it's been a real pleasure. I've I've had a great time talking to you, and uh, and thanks a lot for being on the show this week.
1: Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's good to talk to you, Michael.
0: 54 Miracle Mile is a thing of legends. It was billed as the race of the century, pitting the world's only two sub-four-minute milers at the time, Roger Bannister of England and John Landy of Australia, against each other. The race lived up to the hype in front of millions and millions of viewers around the world as both men went under the fabled four. It was Bannister, though, that pulled a slick move in the last lap to take the race and put people on their feet everywhere. The setting to this, of course, was the Empire Games in Vancouver. Jason Beck, author of the Miracle Mile Stories of the 1954 British Empire and Commonwealth Games, joined me this week to discuss this monumental race. Well, you know, I, I read your book, and it's fantastic. It describes the mile so, so well, uh, the 1954 Miracle Mile. I do have to, to ask you, though, can you set the scene? What was it like going into the games?
2: Well, it, in, in terms of the, 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 the Vancouver area... It, you know, the sports world was a lot different. Um, I, I, w- I was shocked when I, I read that you couldn't attend a paid um, sports event on a Sunday still in 1954. It was still, a, you know, there's, there's still a deeply religious um, aspect to everyday life here. Um, there was, you know, you, you have to remember that uh, um, Vancouver was a little bit kind of on the... I wouldn't say on the fringes of civilization, but the, it wasn't like eastern Canada um, or, East, or even the eastern U.S., where there was you know professional sport all over the place. Vancouver just didn't have that. Um, I mean, the biggest team in town in 1954 um, was probably the Canucks, the hockey team, but they were only playing in the Western Hockey League. Um, so there was no, no Canadian Football League team here. The, the Beefy Lions were only formed after the Empire Games so in '54. Uh, so it was, you know, it was a totally different sports scene here. And then internationally, in terms of running, um, you know, Vancouver w- was definitely not a, a running, uh, you know, um, hot spot or or, uh, or athletics um, center by any means. But athletics was a top sport. I mean, the at that time, the mile was like the marquee distance, kind of like how the 100 meters might be considered today. Um, everybody knew who the big milers were around the world. Um, and it was this, it it kind of became this obsession with, you know, the, the the sub four minute mile and, and my, in my research and others have written about this extensively for decades. There's, there's a real, um, following about that distance and about whether that barrier could be broken. so to have that, you know, to have basically the two first sub four minute milers, um, come to Vancouver to run against one another for the first time, suddenly Vancouver is, you know, on it's it's in bylines and and top of mind around the world and at least in the mind of of, uh, um, sports uh, observers and sports fans. So it was um, this was a huge deal for 1954.
0: So uh, the the big marquee matchup was between uh, John Landy and Roger Bannister uh, you know these two titans of, of the mile um, they were the first two two down was the rivalry was there a lot of personal rivalry there or was it you know just a lot of media hype would you say?
2: I'd say there there was definitely a lot of media hype um, they um, the, I, 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 but that being said there was a rivalry there um, you know they both told me that they, Even though they were running in, on opposite sides of the world and, and uh, you know, were, they were chasing the same um, goal to run that, that first sub four minute mile, um, although they were so far apart, they were following the progress of one another, for sure. No, no doubt about it, um, Bannister was scheduling runs um, according to Landy's um, competition schedule. Or at least what he knew of it through uh, through the papers and through um, uh, through the the media of that time. So there was definitely a rivalry there. But that being said, it, it was it was different than what we consider a rivalry today. It was a friendly rivalry. It was a competitive rivalry. They didn't hate one another by any means. They they were, they had great respect for one another, and I think that showed after the fact when um, you know the race here is ran. And, the first thing they both do um, is they go to congratulate one another seconds after the race. And they've remained friends uh, decades later to this day. When Bannister was celebrating the, the 50th anniversary of his first four-minute mile in Oxford in 2004, um, he invited the uh, you know, friends and, and people that were involved in that run. And he, he brought Landy and his wife Lynn um, up from Melbourne to Oxford to be there to celebrate that. I mean, that that really speaks um, to the bond that they had. So although they were rivals, they were they also it, there was a respect there
0: i'm talking to jason beck right now he's author of the miracle mile stories of the 1954 british empire and commonwealth games uh, one thing that i got from reading your book that i didn't know about this historical event before was that both of those runners actually came in a little bit banged up um you know whether that was they were trying to keep it a secret or not i think definitely in landy's position he he definitely was uh, how much do you think that had an effect on the race
2: well, I, I think it had an effect. I, I don't know if it would have changed the the the, the end result. Um, you know, they, they both ran very well. Uh, um, they both ran sub-four-minute times. Um, Bannister's was a personal best, um, the second fastest time ever ran in the mile. Landy's was, I think, the third fastest ever. So they were, you know, Landy was carrying a... a a a, a cut heel Um, he'd stepped on a photographer's flashbulb a couple nights before kept it virtually secret um and bannister had a bad chest cold so it it likely did have an effect but would it have been enough to if they'd both been healthy to to, for a different result to take place i don't know um they both downplayed the their respective uh um, maladies, if you want to call it that, um, they both said that uh, they ran well. Uh, they felt they ran well.
0: Another thing that really, um, you know, boggled my mind was was reading about the the media coverage and and how many people were watching the the whole world round. Um, maybe maybe you could talk a little bit about that. You know what what viewer numbers were like and and why that was.
2: This, this surprised me too. I mean, I, I I knew 1954 was kind of the you know the the early days of television, um, and I think in some ways, although there was less, you know, television, people had less access to television out there. Um, there was also less um, channels available, which meant that, you know, if there are only say 80 million people watching TV, most of those 80 million were watching, you know, two or three of the same programs so this worked into the into the favor of this event because it was broadcast live the first sports event broadcast live across north america on one of two or three channels available to most people so there were 70 million people watching this race which is a huge television audience even for today um someone was telling me i was was giving a presentation about a month ago and someone when i i threw that figure out there someone said You know, the presidential, the U.S. presidential debates weren't drawing that many, uh, that many people. Game seven of the World Series, when the Cubs won that, you know, memorable um, uh, first World Series title in over a century, it drew something like 45 or 50 million people. So keep that in mind. This is 1954. There's 70 million people watching this race, um, plus millions more listening on radio um, in, uh, around North America, uh, in, in Europe, um, in, uh, as well as Australia and New Zealand. Uh, so there were tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people following along. And this is pre-internet, pre-computers, pre internet, pre computers, pre, you know, early days of, of television. Most people knew about this race through television, radio, and newspapers. And to have that many people following along, it just kind of boggles your mind.
0: So, the the big miracle mile uh, at the 1954 British Empire and Commonwealth Games, uh, you know, obviously the big battle was between Landy and Bannister, but also in that race was a Canadian who placed really, really well. Uh, talk to me about him.
2: Yeah. It, one of my motivations to write this book was there are a lot of athletes and a lot of stories that were totally overshadowed by the mile and, and, and also Jim Peters in the marathon. One of them was Rich Ferguson, uh, the Canadian miler. Um, you know, it's it's a little known piece of Canadian sport or Canadian track and field trivia that a Canadian finished third in in the Miracle Mile, which most people don't know. It, it's uh, it, and it's it's a, what was great is that there's a great story behind it too. Um, he kind of came out of nowhere. He he'd been a a, a pretty solid uh, middle distance runner. Um, in, um, in uh, growing up in, in a bunch of places, Edmonton, Toronto, I think he was in Calgary for a little bit too, um, but he went down and ran, um, I believe at the University of Iowa. So he was a good runner at the NCAA level, um, but never really showed, you know, the speed for the mile that, that we were going to see. So um, in the months leading up to um, the 1954 games, he qualified as the third, uh, miler, uh, the third Canadian miler. Um, he was behind Bill Parnell and, uh, I believe it was, might've been Jack Hutchins. Those two guys were more established Canadian international performers. They'd ran at the Olympics. Rich was kind of, he kind of snuck in
0: there. You, you know, um, your book, The Miracle Mile, Stories of the 1954 British Empire and Commonwealth Games, um, it does talk about the mile quite a bit, which is a lot of what we're talking about today. Um, but there are other stories from other events um, that were definitely quite notable from there. What what were some of the, the big ones for you, uh, the real standout ones?
2: Well, the, the other one, the other really big event was... Um, the collapse of Jim Peters, the English marathoner, um, that happened just half an hour after the mile took place. So that that blew my mind, because when you talk to the Commonwealth Games historians and, and observers, you know, media guys that covered the games for decades, they, they would, I asked them, you know, rank your top 10 Commonwealth Games moments, and almost all of them would say number one was the mile, and number two was Jim Peters in the marathon. And these two events happened at the same game, the same afternoon, um, within half an hour of one another. And this is an event that's going on for 80-plus years. So the people that were there that day, and I interviewed a lot of them, uh, spectators and athletes, um, the mile was incredible. It was hiked like you wouldn't believe, and the race turned out to be even better than anyone could have could have hoped. It actually it, it exceeded the hike, which is you know, unusual um, unusual in itself. But the event that really touched people emotionally, that they really em- remembered more vividly, was the marathon. Um, so that's the other event that really st- stands out for me. I mean, you've got the, the fastest marathon runner in history, still considered one of the great marathon runners of all time, comes into the stadium and collapses and then gets up and collapses and gets up and crawls and falls. and he does this for 10 or 15 minutes and, um, you know, people are, are they're not able to, they, they can't watch it. It's so, you know, they they, but they can't look away. It's they, you know, you're watching a man literally run himself to death. Um, and I'd seen the medical records to back that up. He was, he was not in a good way. Um, but it was also showing great courage. So people wanted to cheer him on and there's all these different things happening. um, ultimately he he doesn't finish the race one of the uh, the english team doctors pulls him out um after he crossed what many people thought was the finish line and it was the finish line for all the other events um like the mile and and the sprints and um but for the marathon the finish line was actually on the other side of the track so jim peters was disqualified so there's also this bit of controversy involved and confusion involved with that um so it's a great story um when i I looked at the games as a whole, I thought there were three key figures that I had to follow, Banister and Landy, obviously, but the third was Jim Peters, and he's probably the least known of the three. Um, so that was the uh, one of the other big events, but another one that I really liked was um, and he has a connection with banister is Chris Chataway. Um, another like one another great great middle distance runner. The English had like a a steady stream of these incredible middle distance runners through the 50s and he was one of the best um he and he had never really won a big race until vancouver um he was always kind of they actually called him the great mr second because he 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 finished second to banister in the first four-minute mile in oxford he chased landy um in finland to landy's first four-minute mile um he he, f- he finished tied for the world record in the three-mile event just before the Games to another English runner named Fred Green, um, but, was fin- but was given second place. So he was kind of <laughs> always the bridesmaid. Um, Chataway comes to Vancouver, runs one of the great races of the Games, the incredible sprint finish that he's, uh, in the three-mile race. He starts at about, about 400 metres out um, and just blows the competition away. And he wins gold, and and uh, um, it's for him. It's kind of one of the um, he said, you know, one of the, the great races that he ever ran. And uh, this is a guy that later beat, you know, Vladimir kutz in one of the, the, the most memorable five thousand meter races. He, you know, he beat Zatopek. He, um, you know, he <laughs> he was a great runner, and and this was a great race for him in Vancouver. It really kind of elevated him. I think in his own mind, more than anything, his confidence.
0: Early on in the book, you uh, you mentioned a, a watch and how it was a bit of an inspiration for for the book. Uh, tell me about this watch and uh, and kind of the symbology of it. Yeah,
2: it, you know the the BC Sports Hall of Fame has an incredible collection um, of artifacts, sports artifacts. There's, we have over twenty seven thousand items, and it's you know it's almost like being a kid in a candy store. Sometimes, if you're if you're a sports guy like I am. Um, one of the the most impressive items is this Omega stopwatch that we have. We've got two um, of the 25 that were used to time the Miracle Mile race. Um, One of them is just a regular stopwatch. The other one that that you're referring to and that really had an impact on me is actually still stopped at Bannister's winning time. That's three minutes, 58.8 seconds. So this one day I, I was, at the Hall of Fame, I'd only been there for a few years at that point, and I was cleaning some artifacts in uh, one of the display cases, and I, I was, you know, working on this watch, and it, I, I'd seen it before, and I'd certainly, you know, read the uh, artifact description and, and knew about it, but it hit me that, wow, here, you know, this is, it's still stopped at, at Bannister's winning time, and it was almost like being connected back to that moment in a way, a moment that was stopped in time, um, it, it it really kind of got to me, and I thought, "Wow, like that, like not many people have that opportunity to, to have that that connection um, to handle an item like that." But I thought maybe if I could kind of um, get across some of the uh, of the feeling of being there in 1954, they other people could also experience that feeling that I was just having, and that was one of the motivations. Um, certainly the initial motivation to write the book, um, was, was kind of being inspired by this watch that was stopped at at Bannister's winning time. I still give tours, um, at the hall of fame and I always point out that watch and I love the moment when I, when I, when people realized that, Hey, that watch is stopped at that winning time and has been for 60 going on 63 years now. Um, It's just like this crazy moment where people are like, wow, you know, a moment stopped in time.
0: I have to say that, uh, that you definitely succeeded in, in, from, from my own reading, uh, in bringing back that moment, uh, for, for people to enjoy now. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, if people want to, to get their own copy of the Miracle Mile stories of the 1954 British Empire and Commonwealth games, um, you know, how can they do it?
2: Well, it's, it's available at most bookstores. Um, you can find it at, uh, you know, the major chain stores. Um, a lot of independents across Canada have it as well. Um, it's available online um, through um, through Amazon. Um, you can also get it off the hall, the BC Sports Hall of Fame website, bcsportshalloffame.com. Um, and if you go that route, we can actually personalize it and sign it for you, which is which is kind of cool. Um, and it supports the hall, which is a great cause. And, uh, and it's, I believe it's, um, you can also get it off the Caitlin Press uh, website, which, which was the publisher um, of the book. So it's available pretty much uh, um, any, any way that, uh, that you want.
0: Jason Beck is the author of the Miracle Mile Stories of the 1954 British Empire and Commonwealth Games. And uh, and if you're into athletics at all or a bit of a historian in the area, I'd uh, definitely suggest uh, checking it out. Thanks a lot, Jason, for, for being on the show this week. Thank you for having me, Michael. It's been a pleasure. That wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Big thanks to my guests this week, Dr. David Bailey and Jason Beck, as well as to Tracky for their ongoing support. If you want to find us online, you can find us on Twitter at The Terminal Mile. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and of course, tracky.ca. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Terminal Mile, a tracky radio production.